Psalm 130. Uh, this one is referred to as a penitential psalm, or a, a psalm of penitence, or asking forgiveness. Confession. There, there are several psalms throughout the book of Psalms that deal with that idea of, of confessing to the Lord. Uh, one of the most famous is Psalm 32. You guys remember the story when David sinned with Bathsheba, right? Terrible, terrible event. Wickedness, I mean, a king should not have been sloughing off not doing his job in the first place. So he wasn't where he should have been. But then, obviously, you guys remember the story, right? David, he was supposed to go out to war, but instead he stayed back and had an affair with another man's wife by the name of Bathsheba. And then to cover it up, he had the husband of Bathsheba executed. So we had a lying, murdering failure to follow through on what he was supposed to do. And he was trying to hide it. He was trying to cover it up. But thankfully, the prophet Nathan came to him and confronted him with it. He said, hey, this is not right. This is not okay. And so what did David do? Hmm? He repented, right? He repented. And, and Psalm 32 is an example of that repentance that he gives. Psalm 51 is another good example. Probably written about the same time, but another example of when David just expresses what it is to repent. And those both go into a lot of detail, a lot more extensive of a repentance. And I would encourage you to go ahead and take some time, read through those, study those, look at those. I didn't want to take a full block of time to, to dig into those. I wanted to look at uh, one of the Psalms of Ascent as well as Psalm 130 as a reminder of some of these things. But all, all of those, and then there are several more, deal with this idea of confession. We're coming to God and expressing, you know, we have failed. We haven't done what we should have done. And we know better. Please forgive us. Please restore us. And so the, the penitential psalms or the psalms of repentance, that's what they deal with. And some of them are very, very specific. Like I said, Psalm 32, Psalm 51 are very specific and go into a lot more detail. Whereas Psalm 130 covers a more generalized idea. And in this one, we're going to find it doesn't specify anything direct. And I think that's, that's useful, that that's encouraging to us, because as we come to the Lord, there's always somewhere where we have failed. We've always fallen short. We shouldn't. In fact, uh, we're told in the New Testament, do, do you think then that you should continue in sin? No way! That's, that's Romans 6. No way you should not! And yet, we fail. So what do we do? What should we do? When we come to the Lord, when we come to church, when we gather together to worship, we ought to be doing what Psalm 130 starts off with and deals with. This idea of coming to Him and confessing and pouring out our, our acknowledgement that we have failed and allowing Him to then forgive us. So, we're going we're gonna to dig into Psalm 130. Take a look at this. I know in a lot of ways it's a reminder, and it's recovering things that we've already looked at, but it's good to be reminded. Also, it's, it's very short. It's not as detailed and specific as some, and yet that means more and more that it applies in such a broad way. Because as you go through your daily life, you, I hope, I pray, you don't fall into the same things that David did, where you're lying and you're murdering and, and completely failing to do everything that you should. And yet, 
I'm willing to guess that at some point during this last week, you said something that you shouldn't, or in a way that you shouldn't have. You had an attitude that was not right. You failed to live up to God's standard. So what do we do with that? What, what should we do? What can we do? Well, we need to be reminded to go back to him because of his great mercy, because of his great forgiveness that we can find. So let's read Psalm 130 and then start uh, digging into it a little bit. It is a song of ascents. Out of the depths I have cried to thee, O Lord. Lord, hear my voice. Let thine ears be attentive to the voice of my supplications. If thou, Lord, shouldst mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? But there is forgiveness with thee, that thou mayest be feared. I wait for the Lord, my soul does wait, and in his hope, or in his word, I do hope. My soul waits for the Lord, more than the watchman for the morning. Indeed, more than the watchman for the morning. O Israel, hope in the Lord, for with the Lord there is loving kindness, and with him is abundant redemption, and he will redeem Israel from all his iniquities. As I said, it starts off a song of ascents. And we've, we've looked at what is the songs of ascent, why were they used, what were some of the things with that. He then goes on to, to proclaim, Out of the depths I have cried to thee, O Lord. Now, this one, it, it was an interesting thing to start studying and digging into. Um, there are actually 15 different Hebrew words that mean depths, the deep. And some of them deal with in the depths of the water, some of them deal with in the depths of a cave, but all of them have this idea or this, this tendency towards a, a major difficult situation. And so out of this, this difficulty, out of this distress, figuratively speaking, out of that is what I've cried to you. When we have failed to live up to God's standard, we aren't where we ought to be. We are in a, a terrible place. And that needs to be fixed. Out of the depths, this psalmist has cried to you, O Lord. Uh, who does he cry out to? Does he, does he say, you know what, I'm, I'm in a terrible place, I'm in the deep spot, and I'm just going to climb right out of it. I'm going to take care of myself. You know what, I don't need God, I can do this. No, not at all. He says, I'm crying out to thee, O Lord. Now, we've dug into that, that name, that title, Lord, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. Do you remember which one that is? Uh, Yahweh. Yahweh, right? Okay, so he is not saying, I'm just crying out to anyone for help. He's specifying, I am crying out to Yahweh, God, the one who is in charge, the one who is self-existent. That's who he's crying out to from the depths. Now, like I said, this one's not specific. It's not telling us exactly what the situation is and exactly what's going on. Whatever the difficulty, whatever the issue, whatever the distress that he's in, he's saying, I'm going to cry out to the Lord. I'm crying out to Yahweh. Not just I'm going to, but I have. I've already done that. Lord, hear my voice. Now, in English, this is one of those where it's a little bit annoying because the only difference between these two lords is whether it's capitalized or lowercase. But do you remember what the other term that's translated as lord is? Master. It means master. The word is Adonai, and it's, it's master, it's the one in charge. 
So he starts off, he's saying, out of the depths, I have cried to thee, O Yahweh, the God who is, the self-existent one, master. So he's, he's putting himself under God. He's not trying to say, hey, I'm in charge, or I can get out of this myself, or I have anything. He is completely submitting himself to who God is. And he says, Lord, hear my voice. He acknowledges very, very succinctly, very simply, that there is nothing he can do to fix it himself, to get out of this, this depth, whatever that is, to get out of it on his own. He has simply cried out to God, and he says, Lord, hear my voice. He makes a request, let thine ears be attentive to the voice of my supplication. Now in the, in the uh, pre-study guide, one of the main things that I ask is, what is the psalmist requesting? What is this idea of supplication? What does it mean? Prayer. Hmm? Prayer. Prayer. Okay. Anybody else? What is it to make a request? I've, I've already mentioned a couple of concepts associated with it, but the, the word itself deals with the idea of a request from a lower to a higher. Like I said, he has submitted himself. He's putting himself under. He's recognizing that Yahweh is the master. And so a supplication is bringing a request from someone who is lower. And specifically, it's a request for mercy. Now, I, I titled this or, or referred to this as both confession and forgiveness because that's the, the idea that's going on here. Um, one of the, the questions that I asked was, given the context of the psalm, what is he requesting? Well, we're going to find out. He's asking for mercy from his iniquities. And, and again, we don't know exactly what it is, and that's fine. We don't have to understand all of the bad things that people do. But what is he choosing to do here? He's saying, you know what, I can't get myself out of the depths, so I submit myself to Yahweh, to the Lord as my master, and I beg him, I ask him, I request of him mercy. What is mercy? Forgiveness is one of them. Unmerited favor, something that we don't deserve. We're going we're gonna to read verses 3 and 4, and then we're going to come back to this question. What is mercy? Verse 3. If thou, Lord, again that's if thou, Yahweh, shouldst mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? But there is forgiveness with thee, that thou mayest be feared. Iniquities, sin, failing to achieve God's standard. If God were to mark those or keep track, pay attention, that's the, the idea there. If God were to write all of those down, could anybody stand up and say, no, I'm, I'm just, I'm good, I have done everything that I have to do? No. Can you think of it? Do what? It'd be a really big book, right? Okay. What does, what does the Bible say about that? For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, right? If, if you, O oh Lord, should mark iniquities, O oh Lord, who could stand? No one. That's, that's step one. Now, I mentioned that one of the things that we as a church ought to be doing, claim that we're doing, number, number three on the back of the bulletin is what? 
reaching out, sharing the gospel with others. That's where it starts. That really is where it starts. But we need to be reminded of it ourselves as well, that I have failed. So what do I do? Well, if you, Lord, would mark all of those names, I couldn't stand. But, and I've said it before, I'm sure I'll say it again, that's one of my favorite words in the Bible. But. Because there's contrast. I particularly love it when it says, but God commended His love towards us. In that, while we were yet sinners. That's, that's what's going on here. But there is forgiveness with Thee. Amen is, is true. There's nothing beyond God's forgiveness. As I was, as I was going through this, uh, 1 John 1, 9 really came to my mind. And I, I want to go ahead and read that one. In the book of 1 John, it says, If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just, or faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. What is forgiveness? It's to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And uh, another of those, it's maybe a little bit cliche, but that idea, all means all, and that's all all means, right? So he doesn't take away just part of it. We're going to actually see that here in just a moment when he talks about the abundance that he's got. But there is forgiveness with God. Now, interesting thing connected with that, is there anywhere else that we can get the forgiveness that we're talking about here? Well, no. He's saying it's, it's with God. So I can't pull myself up by my own bootstraps to get out of this depth, whatever the depth is. I can't drag myself out. I can't climb myself out. I can't rely on anyone else either. It's only through forgiveness that God has for us. So, verses 3 and 4 really are kind of the focal point of this. They, they declare the thing that we need to understand and that we need to be reminded of, that my iniquities are massive. And if God were to track all of those, if He were to mark them, to write them down, to pay attention to them specifically, I would have no hope. But there is forgiveness with Thee. Forgiveness is to pardon or to spare from punishment. Um, it, there, there are a couple of different words used in the Old Testament. Some of them refer to taking away of the sin. That's not this one. This one is acknowledgement that it's there. There is sin. And, and this individual has already declared, I'm guilty. If, if you marked my iniquities, then he's not arguing it. He's not trying to say, well, no, that wasn't really me. I didn't actually. There's none of that going on either. I, I did want to highlight that, that fact. He's not trying to justify himself at all. He's straight up admitting to it. And so what does he do? He lays himself out before God. He begs him for mercy. That's what supplication is. He begs him for mercy. He lays before him. But why? Why does God have this abundance of forgiveness, this abundance of mercy? What does it say? Verse 4. that thou mayest be feared, that you may be feared. One of the reasons that God forgives, yes, he is, he is full of mercy, He is full of compassion, that's by nature who God is. But one of the reasons that this psalmist declares that God does have that forgiveness 
is so that he would be feared. Now, fear is one of those we've brought up many times, and we've talked about this idea that, that it's a referential awe. So if God is just, and if God's in charge, and God's in control, and we know that we deserve punishment, there's, there's no doubt about that. We're not hiding that. And yet, he is forgiving. Yet he is merciful. What result does that have? Well, it ought to have that people fear him. That people stand in awe of him. That people recognize who he is. Not just me, but others as well. Obviously, I ought to. Because I was guilty. I deserved punishment. But others ought to also recognize that and come to fear him. Come to worship him. Verse 5. What does he decide that he's going to do then? He's called out. He's in depth. He admits to it. He knows that he's guilty. Whatever, whatever the sin is, whether big or small, he knows that it's his. He's called out to God. He's not tried to take any personal action to fix it or, or to say, you know, I got this. I'm good. I can handle it. He's saying, you know what? I have to lay it out before God and trust in his forgiveness. And then what does he do? Verse 5. I wait for the Lord. My soul does wait. And in his word do I hope. This, again, this idea of waiting is a recurring theme in the Psalms. I don't know about you, but I have a tendency to want to do things rapidly, my own way, right off. And it gets me in trouble more often than not. Whether it's a major project or a small thing, uh, I have a tendency to just rush off and, oh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go ahead and get started. And if you don't slow down, it causes problems. Well, here he's saying, I'm not going to rush off and try and do this myself. I'm going to wait. I'm going to stop. I'm going to pause. I'm going to allow God to deal with this. Not just um, directly or outright, but also my soul, my inner being will wait God. Again, this is one of those ideas that comes up multiple times. Um, this, this idea of waiting, it comes out throughout the Old Testament and is definitely one worth digging into, but the, the basic idea is, I'm not trying to do it myself. I'm just going to allow God. I'm going to get out of His way and let Him do what He does. My soul waits for the Lord, uh, or, sorry, I will wait for the Lord. My soul is wait, and in His word do I hope. Okay. So he stopped. He's not trying to do it himself. He's not trying to dig himself out of the pit. He's not trying to climb out. He's not relying on anyone but God. He says, I'm going to wait for him. What is he waiting for? He says, I will wait. And in his word do I hope. This idea of word can be his response or his answer. He's not trying to do it himself. He's saying, you know what, God, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to let you handle this. I'm going to let you answer. Connect with it. We, we can recognize also the idea that what God has said, that's what he's going to do. So I'm, I'm hoping, I'm putting my reliance, my expectation on what you have promised, on what you have said, and, and you're going to answer this. You're not, you're not going to leave me hanging. It's not like, well, hopefully maybe you're going to take care of this, but I don't really know. No, there's confident expectation that your word is said, you will forgive, that's who you are, that's what you do, and therefore, I'm just going to wait for you. I'm going to rely on you. My soul, verse 6, my soul waits for the Lord. More than the watchman for the morning, indeed, 
more than the watchman for the morning. What do watchmen do? They watch, right? Now, I, I got thinking about this one, and, and it's kind of a military idea, or you know, the person who goes around and guards and, and keeps watch out. But, but in the military, you would have uh, overnight duty. And what were you waiting for? You're waiting for your relief, right? You want that next guy to come, and you're just watching the clock. <laughs> Do what? You're watching your watch. Yeah. You're just, you're waiting, you're longing, you're, you're desiring. Well, he's, he's creating this picture that it's not just that he's called out and he's saying, okay, you know, I, I think God will answer. I'm, I'm going to wait for him. Maybe he'll, okay, I'm going to go do something. No, he's, he's watching, he's longing for, he's, he's confidently expecting, and he's turning to, and he, he creates this picture more than the watchman for the morning. More than, than they're waiting for morning to come so that they can get off duty. More than they're waiting for the morning to come to make sure that they, the city's not attacked or that fire doesn't break out in the middle of the night. Those, those were all the kinds of things that watchmen were keeping an eye out for, that they were watching for. More than any of that, he says, I'm waiting for the Lord. Now, there's, there's a neat little uh, thing that, that the psalmist does here. You guys are probably really familiar with the fact when Scripture repeats something, you got to pay attention to it, right? It's adding emphasis. It's making sure that you really notice and you pay attention to it. So he says, I wait for the Lord. My soul waits. He's, he's emphasizing, I'm waiting. In his word do I hope. My soul waits for the Lord. That's kind of a repeat. More than the watchman for the morning. Indeed, more than the watchman for the morning. He doesn't want you to think that this is just a, a short little... You know, I cried out once, and then, then I'm done, and, you know, God will take... This is a constant thing. And he's, he's putting his entire reliance on God's response. Not on himself, not on his own abilities, nothing like that. But constantly and completely waiting on God. And he wants that to be, to be clear and to be known, that that's what he's doing. Now, interesting thing, this is one of the, again, the issues with English... In, in poetry, there are a lot of connections that are made. One of the ones that we don't see as easily in English is this word watchman is connected with what God could do in relation to iniquities. So if God paid attention to our iniquities, like, he, like the psalmist is saying he's paying attention, a watchman is paying attention for the morning, we would have all kinds of problems. And so it's creating this very poetic, beautiful connection going on and saying, you know what? God doesn't watch our iniquities. God doesn't pay attention to those because he is forgiving, because he is willing to uh, forgive them. But I'm watching him. I'm waiting on him. I'm paying attention to him. And so in contrast, God could, in fact, we could argue he should, because that's what we deserve. And yet, because he is merciful, because he is gracious because he is loving he doesn't now i mentioned that idea of of mercy what is mercy compassion not getting what we do deserve and so if god paid attention to what we deserve what is right rightfully ours that punishment if he watched it like a like a watchman who could stand who would have any hope whatsoever. No one. And the psalmist is reminded of this and is reminding others of this, but he is 
forgiving, or with him is forgiveness, so that God would be feared. And, and thus, I'm going to wait. I'm going to wait for him. I'm going to rely on him more than a watchman would. I'm going to wait for him. Verse 7, O Israel, hope in the Lord. Now, I got, I got digging into that one a little bit, and it's, again, it's one of those beautiful little combinations of, of words. This idea of waiting and this idea of hoping are very, very similar. They, they both are, are saying the same thing of stepping back and allowing someone else to do it and not doing it myself. Um, there are a few differences in them, but they're both dealing with looking towards something or something else, someone else, with anticipation and expectation. And so he's, he's affirming this over and over again and making sure that you understand this idea. I'm not doing it on my own. I'm not capable of it. I'm not going to try to do it. I'm going to wait on, hope in, and anticipate the action of God. They both have the idea of tarrying. One is a more a patient aspect. Kind of that idea of, of sit back and, and wait. I'm going to hope in the Lord. Israel, sit back and, and just put your trust in God. That's the idea of hope. Wait has a little bit more of an idea of an eager anticipation. I look forward to, I know he's going to do it. So I'm watching, I'm waiting, I'm anticipating. Both of these are working together in the way that he deals with this idea. He has called out to God. He's asked God to answer him, to hear his voice, to respond, to deal with his sin. And now he turns it all over to God. And he steps back and he says, I'm not going to try and mess it up. And he's watching intently, anticipating that God will respond, that God will deal with it. So verse 7, O Israel, hope in the Lord, for with the Lord there is loving kindness. That's that word, that chesed, that it, it's one of those words that's hard to define because like love in English, what does that mean? Well, it, it means so much. There's so much packed into it. This idea of chesed is that. It's mercy, it's grace, it's forgiveness, it's, it's love, it's unmerited favor, it's all of those things. That's why Israel is called to hope in the Lord. Because with the Lord, just like with Him there is forgiveness, with Him there is also chesed, loving kindness. But not just that, more than, and with Him is abundant redemption. I, I like the idea of abundance. It means plentiful. When does God's forgiveness run out? When does He not have enough to forgive us? Never. Never, no, ever. I mentioned 1 John 1 9. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make Him a liar and the word, His word is not in us. My little children, I'm writing these things to you that you may not sin. Obviously, the goal is that we don't sin. All right? I, I want to make that clear and fully understand. Uh, understood. Yes, there's plenty of forgiveness. Romans five, or sorry, Romans six says, "What should we continue in sin that grace may abound?" No, God forbid. Here, I write these things that you will not sin. Please, please, don't think that I'm saying, "Oh, it's it's all good, it's okay, God will forgive us, it's fine." That's not what He's saying. 
But when we do sin, reading on in 1 John chapter 2, my little children, writing these things to you that you may not sin, and if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. He Himself is the propitiation for our sins. And not for ours only, but also for those of the whole world. Now, obviously, back in the Old Testament, when this psalm was written, they didn't understand who Jesus was or all of the, the things that are revealed in the New Testament. Please don't, don't try and put the New Testament back into the Old Testament and understand it that way. But we are looking at the entirety of it, and we understand who Christ is and what He's done and how this works out. The psalmist is saying... There's abundance of redemption. How? He's not, he's not dealing with that. He's not getting into the theological implications of how it all works out. He just is confidently asserting, when I cry out to God and I wait on Him, He will forgive. There is forgiveness with Him. He will show His loving kindness. He will give abundance of redemption. And, verse 8, and He will redeem Israel from all His iniquities. Again, not just some, not just a couple, not just part of it, but all of them. Now, I, I, in the uh, questions I asked, what are, what are the three reasons given for Israel to hope in the Lord? Now, when you're dealing with the Old Testament, obviously there are certain promises made to Israel, made in the Old Testament that are just for them. And this specifies Israel, hope in the Lord. We understand that there are three reasons listed out. Do these apply to us? Are these things still true for us? What do you think? Yeah. Yes. More than that, because they describe who God is. They, they tell us His nature. And, and God is not changing. So, yes, this is written to Israel... And, and they used it as part of their, their regular worship as they would go to the temple, as they would go up to Jerusalem. They would sing these songs and they would remind themselves of these things. But we need to be reminded of the same thing. We need to be reminded of the same God that was merciful and gracious to Israel. He has called all people to Himself. And as we, as we understand things from the New Testament, we learn more and more about how He does that. But this, this simple, basic declaration needs to be made. Out of the depths I have cried to Thee, O Lord. Lord, hear my voice. Let Thine ears be attentive to the voice of my supplications. If Thou, Lord, should mark iniquity, O Lord, who could stand? But there is forgiveness with Thee that Thou mayest be feared. I will wait for the Lord. My soul does wait. And in His word I do hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than the watchman for the morning. Indeed, more than the watchman for the morning. O Israel, O church, O people, hope in the Lord. For with the Lord there is loving kindness. And with Him is abundant redemption. And, with, and, and He will redeem Israel from all His iniquities. So what? What do we do with this? What do we do about this? I think I've already mentioned several of the, the takeaways, but I, I want to just kind of reaffirm them and, and state them clearly. Number one, 
out of whatever depths you get yourself into, whatever sin it is, whatever problem it is, step one is to call out to Him. Call out to God. You can't dig yourself out. I'm sorry, it doesn't work. But with God, there is abundance of redemption. There is loving kindness. There is forgiveness. So, individually, as we go through our day, as we go through our week, we're going to come out on those times when we fail. What do we do? Number one, call out to Him. Always call out to Him. And then wait on Him. Be confident in your expectation that He will respond, that He will hear, that He will redeem, that He will forgive. No, we shouldn't go out sinning just for the sake of sinning. I, I hope I've made that clear. Obviously, Scripture makes that clear. Don't do that. But, if you do, when you do, call out to Him, turn back to Him. That's us individually. But then, what else should we do with this? The Psalms of Ascent weren't just sung as a reminder. That was part of it. That was a major thing. To remind them as they were going to worship God. So, potentially, every time that you get in your car to come here to, to this building, it would be a good idea to remind yourself of these things. Hey, have I failed God? How do I make right with Him when I call out to Him? Confess my sins, and He is faithful and just to forgive me of my sins and to cleanse me from all unrighteousness. That's a good idea. Every time that you gather together with fellow believers to confess and to make, make right with Him yet again. But, what else can we do with this? This isn't just a declaration for the individuals for themselves. It's also a reminder as they went out to worship about who God is. And if God was calling all of Israel, and if God is unchanging, and if this applies to us still today, then maybe we need to use this as a reminder of what our responsibility is to go out and to share with others because of who God is. Not because I'm so amazing and I've got my theology all figured out and I know everything that there is to know about who God is, but simply this basic, I'm going to call on Him, I'm going to trust in Him because of who He is, because of His loving kindness. God is merciful. And he is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And so as we go through our week, as we go out into the world around us, as we go through our daily life, this is both individual and going further out and letting it be known of who God is. And in that way, we can fulfill this number three that I mentioned at the back of our bulletin of pursuing the lost with the truth of the gospel. We're not going to get into the, the full-blown what is the gospel, how you present it, all that stuff. It's a good study. It's, it's worth taking time. We've got uh, helps back over here with the uh, tracks, thank you, with the track rack over here. I, I would highly recommend those. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 15 gives us a very simple summary of what the gospel is. It's the death, burial, and bodily resurrection of Christ. As you go out, you don't have to have your theology all figured out and know all the details and know everything that there is about who God is or about what the individual sin is. We have this simple declaration that whatever the depths are, I'm going to cry out to God and I'm going to wait on Him because of who He is, because of His loving kindness, 
because of his abundant redemption, because he will redeem. Because with him, there is forgiveness. So that he will be feared. He will be, people will stand in awe of him. People will revere him. Sharing the gospel does not have to be hard and difficult. We make it a lot worse than it is. Can you declare these things as you're out and about, as you go to the, the rhubarb festival tomorrow or today, if you're going, or as you go to the grocery store, or as you go to Ace, or as you go to work, or as you go wherever it is, can you declare that simple thing? Cry out to God because of who He is. I think each one of us can. I think each one of us could do a better job as well, myself included. Let's pray. Dear Father, thank you. Thank you for who you are. It's so easy to, to get caught up in, in big head knowledge. And it's important stuff. I, please, I don't, I don't mean to downplay any of that. But help us not to overcomplicate things either. Help us to recognize who you are. These simple truths that we need to be reminded of, that we need to remind each other of. That you are loving, that you are kind, that you are gracious, that you are good. That you offer forgiveness and redemption to all. Lord, help it start with us that we would confess when we fail you. That we would seek to not fail you. But beyond that, Lord, help us to declare it to others so that you would be feared. That the world would come to know you and respect you and worship you and stand in awe. Because of who you are. You are worthy of our praise and adoration. Thank you for these simple reminders. Help us to live them out. In Jesus' name we pray.